I'm Brian Foster, and this is the Grindhouse Institute. On each episode of this podcast, Jeremy Floyd and I program a triple feature movie night. Each of the movies share common themes, and we discuss them here. We're happy you could join us for today's block we call Hot Summer Noir. In a previous collaboration with Only Film Noir, we discussed a block of films revolving around the winter holiday season. This time, we set aside the cold and snowy for the hot and steamy as we hitchhike across the country all while discussing a few film noirs that take place during the sweltering summer months. When a drifter is hired at a roadside diner, his first order of business is to begin an affair with the boss's wife. The two want to be together, but what to do about her husband? He's the only thing standing between them and happiness, right? The heat gets to Lana Turner and John Garfield in The Postman Always Rings Twice from 1946. George Eastman is given an entry-level position at a factory owned by his extremely wealthy uncle. There he meets a beautiful girl and they really hit it off. That is, until George meets another girl who is wealthier and, well, she's Elizabeth Taylor. George will have to make a difficult decision, but the heat is just making it hard for him to think. Montgomery Clift, Elizabeth Taylor, and the magnificent Shelley Winters all star in Place in the Sun from 1951. Ned Racine is Florida's top shyster lawyer and ladies' man who meets and ultimately lusts after the beautiful Maddie Walker during a blistering hot summer. Again, the only thing standing between them and their happiness is Maddie's husband. So, do they get him out of the way? What about all his money? William Hurt and Kathleen Turner star in 1981's Body Heat. Thank you for listening to the Grindhouse Institute. Please enjoy. Now, back again to the news. Well, it seems the fine weather we have been having here has been just a little too fine in some other parts of the country. In New York City, seven persons are reported as having succumbed over the weekend from the high temperature still prevailing. Hello there. You know, Frank, I've been thinking you must be in love. It's hardly eat any lunch. Too hot to eat. Funny climate you get around here. The harder the wind blows, the hotter it gets. Yeah, we call that wind the Santiana. It comes from the desert. When it gets hot, people try to kill each other. That's right. I know some people who'll be dead if we don't get a break soon. Ooh, we got more of everything bad since the wave started. People dress different, feel different, they sweat more, wake up cranky and never recover. Everything is just a little askew. Pretty soon, people think the old rules are not in effect. Start to break them, figure nobody will care, because it's emergency time. Ned, it scares me to talk about these things. I'm afraid because when I think about it, I wish he'd die. That's really what I want. It's horrible, and it's ugly, and it's what I most want. All right, welcome back to the Grindhouse Institute. I'm Brian Foster, and with me, as always, is Jeremy Floyd. Hello, and how are you? Brian, look, a hooker cut to look like Lana Turner is still a hooker. She just looks like Lana Turner. Wait, what movie were we watching today? <laughs> what, what line was that from? L.A. Confidential. Yeah, I was like, that's interesting. We are not talking about L.A. Confidential today, but that was I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Well, uh, today, very well, special. We didn't have Lana Turner, so that's, that's good. No, there's the reference. Uh, today we're talking about uh, a Lana Turner film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a very special episode today with a very special returning guest. Uh, Jeremy, please do the introduction. Yeah, uh, it's been a long time coming. This is uh, kind of a spiritual sequel to our Christmas Noir episode. And who better to have back than the uh, guy who runs the best 
Film Noir account online, only Film Noir, Alex Lahove. Hey, thank you so much. So good to oh, be yeah. back. Welcome um, back. You guys are great. Really, really good to be back here. Thank you so. It's it's like the polar opposite in terms of theme, right? Just like I, it's a good yeah. good counterbalance to the last one. Yeah, yeah. Um, we just I, I was asking Jeremy if you had any uh, fall and Halloween ideas too, because maybe we just need to make this a holiday seasonal yeah. thing. I actually yeah. thought about that. I was like, do I do when when spring rolled around? I was thinking, are there springtime noirs? And I thought that's just such a weird. That's almost like when TCM runs out of categories. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just like yeah. At some point, you get too esoteric with it. You know what I mean? No, but I I think this one is what the more appropriate uh, uh like or or the more obvious film noir category like or a subcategory where it's like you know okay it's hot and and things are gonna happen when it's hot uh, but. You know, you, you didn't see it coming with the Christmas, but I think with this one, you, you see it coming. You know? Yeah, so today's uh, block are hot, steamy summer noirs. Uh, I, I probably added a few too many adjectives in there. <laughs> um, but this is a summer noir block, um, and quite a heavy-hitting block we have today. Uh, the Postman Always Rings Twice from 1946, A Place in the Sun from 1951, and Body Heat from 1981. I mean, three completely different um, eras of movie here, um, but all fit so well together uh, in this together. It would be great to watch these all in a theater uh, in a triple feature. This is one of those that I would just go out, you know, a theater with broken air conditioning. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You have to do that. (laughs) Steamy. And it's it's so funny because the, the, it's so antithetical to the idea of noir, the idea of sunshine, open spaces, that's breezy true. ocean sides. Usually, people think of noir. You know, they think of just the word itself, right? Uh, but also dark, sort of urban settings. Uh, and w- what I love about all three of these movies, uh, they're kind of all about opportunistic, cocky drifters. <laughs> you, uh-huh. yeah. you know, even with uh, body heat, I mean, you know, yeah. they're kind of planted, but they all have to do with sort of an aimless, wandering dude who gets in over his head. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, thank you guys so much for having me back. It's uh, really cool to talk about summer noir. Totally. Yeah, or or I guess with what body heat, it's uh, the the drifter and the femme fatale are the same, are the one and the same. Oh, and so so body heat has the femme fatale, right? And so does postman. Place in the sun weirdly doesn't, which is so interesting. Yeah. Like it's sort of <laughs> right. It's sort of more on the melodrama than on the mm-hmm. noir barometer, though. There's definitely mm-hmm. you know people would classify it as a noir. I mean the classifications are silly. But yeah, it's weird. Place in the Sun is the one that really doesn't have the femme fatale character. It's hard to watch these movies if you have any sort of sympathy for characters because everyone gets fucked uh, at some point. Um, you know, like Nick, he just gets screwed really bad. Um, Alice um, gets screwed really bad, you know, and it's just one of those things that are just... And I guess technically so does Ned. Ned Racine also gets screwed pretty bad at the end of Body Heat. <laughs> so, the worst. But man, these these were great. I'm glad um, you liked them. Um yeah, were these all? Uh, I know that I think Jeremy, you had some familiar familiarity with some of these. Uh, mm-hmm. Were these all rewatches for y'all, or? Uh, yeah, uh, for me, I hadn't seen a place in the sun, but you know, Body Heat and Postman, I've I've seen a, co- you know, a couple times each. So, this was second yeah. time for. I mean, I think third time for Postman, second time for Body Heat, and second time Place in the Sun for me. So early rewatches. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I I don't know where to start here. It's like I, I think. Postman Always Rings Twice is an interesting one. It's okay. This is the first time it's adapted to film. It's the the forty six version. I, they did it again in the eighties with Jack Nicholson and um, uh, Jessica Lange. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and uh, Bob Rafelson was the director, the guy who did you know Five Easy Pieces and produced all those those crazy movies like Last Picture Show and mm-hmm. feels like a, uh, a different tone for that one too. Totally. I watched the trailer for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Easy Rider, he, he produced that too. Jeez. Okay, so you know some some movies that like you just don't associate with the film noir, uh, which I guess. When we get to our last one, uh, maybe you wouldn't associate the writer of uh, Empire Strikes Back or Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> with, a, with a film noir, but, uh, you know, you know sl- slam dunk on that one, too. Technically also George Lucas. George Lucas apparently yeah, shadow yeah. directed this he, effort. He, he, like, he was uh, definitely one of the producers. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know about the directing part. But. I think that was one of the deals that the studio made with him, that he'd watch Larry Kasdan direct this film because it was his first film, um, right. just if, to make sure he would stay on Kasdan budget and time. Ball, uh, exactly. He'd, uh, he'd have to step in type of thing. George yeah. Lucas would then direct Body Heat. He vouched for him. <laughs> Apparently he vouched for him. And it was yeah. executive, as like an unexec, uncredited executive producer. But you hear that a lot about Lucas at this time. I mean, apparently... Mm-hmm. This is sort of famous film trivia lore, but I guess that Godfather montage of right before Michael goes to Italy, the, the, the newspaper sequence, apparently Lucas directed that montage. So like he would occasionally do some pitch hitting, it seems, for, right. you know, someone that... <laughs> he was an editor. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's where he kind of came up through all this, didn't he? Like first as an editor. I think he helped out with a lot of these types of projects like Coppola and mm-hmm. all that. I mean, thank God he did with this because it is <laughs> such a strong film and uh, such an unlikely turn after something like Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Definitely. Stuff, like such an unexpected sort of, uh, and like the cast, like you got Mickey Ted Danson, Ted, Ted Danson playing his best Mo Green impression. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. And Mickey yeah. Rourke. You don't before... talk to a guy like Mo Green like that. <laughs> I'm Mo Green. Uh, this is my town. Uh, oh, so many little things in the the fedora hat. It's vi- like as a gift. It's it's mm-hmm. very. Uh, one thing I do have a complaint about is. Uh, the flute, the flute in the soundtrack hasn't aged well. 80s movies with flute in the soundtrack. <laughs> it's like the saxophone. There's a lot of commentary on 80s sax and comedies. But like oh, right, the right. mellow, dramatic flute, there's something about the soundtrack in this one that, it's, you know, it's a great score. It just hasn't aged as well as the rest mm. of the picture, in my humble opinion. I got to say, though, the sax blasting when uh, William Hurt breaks through that, that door and that famous scene <laughs> of him just grabbing her and kissing her and... Like that music just swelling up. I thought that was pretty powerful. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's great. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> that first, that first exchange, that on the on the sort of boardwalk. Tell me, does chat like this work with most women? Some, if they haven't been around much. I wondered. Thought maybe I was out of touch. I buy you a drink. I told you, I've got a husband. I'll buy him one too. He's out of town. My favorite kind. We'll drink to him. Only comes up on weekends. <laughs> I'm liking him better all the time. <laughs> it just and then ending with uh, you know right. you know you don't the spilt ice cream you don't want to lick right. it. It's like yeah. one of the best exchanges of dialogue because you immediately understand who they are, what their relationship is to each other in terms of class, and also where they are. It's just a hot mm-hmm. place, you know. Mm-hmm. It, there's so much wrapped up there. It's perfect. And it's Florida, right? Uh, a heat wave through Florida at this time. I think that's mm. where they where they're at. Yeah. 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 Edited by uh, Carol Littleton, who did E.T. and The Big Chill. She's great. 
Yeah, uh, apparently like she she worked like that was a, their first collaboration, and then she worked with Kazdan. I mean, for twenty five years or whatever. There you go, incredible. Um, but yeah, you, you brought up an interesting point about like the melodrama, like the sound of the melodrama in in uh, Body Heat. I think in these other two films, it's also um, closer to what you would associate as a melodrama. It's like, and when they were making them at the time, they'd be thinking of them as melodramas. I can't remember if <laughs> in our uh, in our Christmas episode we talked about this, but like part of like film noir was this idea that there there were melodramas. They're not there were stories about regular people uh, as opposed to you know big and important people, and you know that differentiates Shakespeare from the melodrama tradition. And in in these ones, you you really kind of feel some of that class presence and pretty much and actually all of these films, mm-hmm. but. It's interesting, like, Postman Always Rings Twice, you know, it was, made in, or it was, it was uh, produced in 46, and it must have been a, uh, like, part of the reason it probably got made was because of the success of Double Indemnity in 44. Postman Always Rings Twice, the book, was written uh, first, and then Double Indemnity second, even though they're pretty much the same storyline. Interesting. But but Double Indemnity is, like, kind of the, the more refined second draft. Mm-hmm. And and the the film too, it's like it's it's even more uh, you know refined in terms of you know it's like Billy Wilder and you know uh, uh, Raymond Chandler helped write the screenplay and you know it's like all these things uh, for the the Double Indemnity movie, and you can kind of see how he was able to take some of the the things that happened in Postman uh, James M Kane that is, and you know dial them up a notch in Double Indemnity. Sounds like the book was a quite a controversial book when it came out, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, banned he, in certain areas. You're right. I mean, and the uh, the relationship that Frank and Cora have uh, in the book is, I mean, I, I read it years ago, so I, it's not totally top of mind. But I mean, I remember like the, their very first interaction was he comes up and like bites that her lip, kiss. He like bites her lip, and yeah. like it's like bleeding, and like there's this like sadomasochistic you know, violence to their relationship that's not really in the movie. In the 40s. <laughs> not going to go uh, over well with critics. Well, it, and the, the, the book was in like the 30s. I oh, thir- there you go, uh, right? Not, not going to go over well. So yeah. the, the book was the 30s. There is a French version that is not really talked about from 1939. It's called mm-hmm. The Last Turning. But in terms of Hollywood, it took mm-hmm. a long... Oh, oh, like a, an adaptation? Yeah, yeah. yeah there is oh, a French okay. version, but there is a, it took a long time in the 40s uh, but you're right, until Double Indemnity. And then Mildred Pierce, also by McCain, got greenlit in, uh, for a 45 release. Uh, and that was, I have here, Warner Brothers. So those two mm-hmm. things combined, Double Indemnity, Mildred Pierce going into production, uh, that kind of led to Postman getting the green light. Uh, so it, but it was very risque material. And I, I could, it's interesting, but you, it, it does feel like a first draft. It feels a lot more scrappy than Double Indemnity. I... Uh-huh. almost like it more i think than double indemnity mm-hmm. only because it feels so much more nasty and cynical i mean i love double indemnity but this there's mm-hmm. some the the outdoor dusty sort of like porch swing restaurant really the, the, something appeals to me about this yeah you know? mm-hmm. yeah yeah th- that's true i mean like I, you know i guess i wasn't saying that as as it was somehow worse or whatever i i just like it, it is interesting oh, no, how not at all. similar the, the, the plots are. Yeah, But the timing um, of it is really also another point you were making, right? Because mm-hmm. book comes out, then double indemnity, then the postman comes out, right? Yeah, so, so it's like the, the book of postman, the book of double indemnity, 
than the movie of Double Indemnity than the Postman movie. Um, the one last thing I want to say about that was like you know you brought up um, Mildred Pierce. Yeah. And, it, and it's funny because the movie Mildred Pierce, Michael Curtiz directed it, and you know they, they really turned it into a film noir. But I, I read the book like expecting that that same sort of like plotline, and there's a lot of similarities, but it's it's more of, it's just a straight melodrama. Like that they don't have the sort of like same sort of murder intrigue and and, and all these things, that, which is really interesting because it's you could see that melodrama film noir connection really uh, laid out pretty interestingly in the Mildred Pierce book versus Mildred Pierce movie. Uh, one of the things, well, I mean, Mildred Pierce, I guess if you're using like pure definitions, it is considered film noir for various elements. I mean, the femme fatale daughter, right, being part of mm-hmm. sort of the DNA. Postman is like one of the ultimate femme fatale roles. I mean, Cora <laughs> is like dressed in white to contrast her attentions. It's brilliant costume design. Um, until the end, when she's Until the in end. all black. Yep, right. it changes, it changes. And I don't know if this was touched on last time. Uh, one thing that I kind of uh, heard on a different podcast, it's uh, uh, run by the Pure Cinema Podcast guys. Uh, one of them commented uh, that, that the idea of the femme fatale was like this post-war idea that came out of uh, suspicion of one's wife or girlfriend while you were away at war, right? So suddenly oh, you have all these veterans... Interesting. Isn't that interesting? It, it was like this like generational... Or, or kind of like a, um, an insecurity about, you know, how, whatever, women were in the workplace yes, you know, yes. during uh, the war yes. effort. Being the sudden autonomy that women had, mm-hmm. uh, men weren't mm-hmm. used to it. Uh, society right. wasn't used to it. So even other women, older generations, perhaps most arguably, would be very suspicious of this newfound freedom. So mm-hmm. the, the, it was very easy to... Uh, throw the role of villainy and of casting aside eye uh, in society at this time. It was very, very common for this to be found in films, and that's why the film fatale, the the femme fatale role developed in film. I mean, this is sort of a pop psychology post rear view mirror armchair view of it. Yeah, I like yeah. it. I'd like it as mm-hmm. an explanation. I mean, misogyny is a thing. It totally explains mm-hmm. it, and it's weird because then people are like, well, it's. It sucks that women are always the villains, but then you hear actresses saying that like some of the best roles I had in that era were these like femme fatale mm-hmm. roles. I mean, Lana Turner said that Cora was her favorite role, and you know her life had drama in itself with her daughter stabbing the gangster in the fifties, Johnny Stampanato. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, <laughs> she, right, she, right, she, right, in real life, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's just you know going down a barrel of her life. I mean, but yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, it provided opportunities for dialogue and for character and complexity that many actresses at the time would not have been able to access because of this weird like archetype that was a result of the war. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's so fascinating to me how that, how that happened. Well, and, and also, I mean, like, you're right. Like, there is something interesting about the core character that's not as interesting as the Elizabeth Taylor character in, in the next movie, mm. uh, Place in the Sun, uh, precisely because she has more dimension and autonomy. Um, but anyhow, I... What I found uh, so fascinating watching Postman this time was like how influential it seemed to have been on Psycho, on like the Bates Motel, and that whole like setup they had over there. There's Felt so like many the like, little shots, exactly like the it, it's it, 
they had that little highway there, and then they, they talked about later the highway was, might, might be going somewhere else, and Nick was going to sell the place. Oh, that conversation? I, I want to talk about that conversation in <laughs> yeah. a second, where he reveals what the plans are. But, uh-huh. but, but please keep going. I, I'm loving Canada. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like a sketch, yeah. but I'm yeah, loving this. It, it does I'm, feel funny. Yeah. I'm loving this psycho line, though. I, the, the parallels. I'm loving the parallels. Yeah, well, I, and then there was uh, there was that moment where they were they were planning the murder, and John Garfield's outside having a smoke, and he's like he's looking up at the bay window, and it's lit up there. Uh, and then there was another moment in a, in a bay window where there was just a silhouette in the mm-hmm. window. Mm-hmm. There were just like so many moments that like you just later saw in Psycho. You know, again, not not to mention just like the fact that there was this, you know, uh, bed and breakfast, you know, little, <laughs> you know, it. I guess it wasn't. What was it? A motel. They didn't have anybody stay there. It was a it was a restaurant, but it was a, the only person know. that lived there was uh, was Frank, because uh, Nick Nick let him live there. Yeah, I got the I got the idea that that it might have been a boarding house if one asked, but normally it was more more of a cafe. And right. inter- another thing, Psycho and this film both end in uh, uh, prison, in the courthouse. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, Psycho has there, that too. famously detested final scene where they're like, well, <laughs> here's the entire movie. And yeah. <laughs> this sort of does it in a much more... I mean, when they bring in Hume Cronin, Hume Cronin, an actor, by the way, whom I yeah. love. He I was is, a big oh, Cocoon like... fan growing up. <laughs> he is, oh, he is, fan, he is one of the best actors of this golden era, as far as I'm concerned, anything he's in, he because yeah, he has this shadow like, of a doubt. Uh, oh, he's like, excellent but, in this. Yeah. Oh, I think uh, yeah, shadow of a doubt. Yeah, I mean he purrs. I I'm a big <laughs> Hume Cronin fan. I, I someone I wish was talking. Parallax about. View. He was a good one on that one. And anyway. and life partner of uh, Jessica Tandy. I mean I think they even oh, right. would appear in films together. I haven't a seen lot. any. They yeah. Together. yeah. A lot of lighthearted comedies. I I I'll, I admit like in terms of like my viewing, I'm missing a lot of like of the classic comedies anyways uh the the trial stuff works for me whereas not to jump place in the sun doesn't really work all the courtroom stuff it kind of lags for me in the third mm. act whereas even with post- perry mason <laughs> even with per- even a little bit with perry mason i gotta be honest you know yeah, yeah. which is such a funny that he's in that and then yeah i was right. like you're, you're setting up yourself for a longer career in tv there literally yeah right I love his cane, though. You know, you get all pissed off in the in the court and just bang his cane around. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but Jeremy, to talk to your your point mm-hmm. about that that exact conversation that you bring up in the psycho parallels. So when he says they're moving to Canada, okay, it's oh yeah. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the good news. All right, imagine this just as like, <laughs> fuck. This is fucking crazy. He's laying on her. We're moving to Canada, the far north, the most northern rural region <laughs> of the continent and what are you going to be doing you're caring for my sister because she needs a woman's touch it's just like for he sealed, his, he sealed his doom right there i'd say <laughs> oh I, exactly 100%. He's, he's like underselling how, just yeah. how bad this is it's so funny to me and the, right. how it unspools out it's i love that so he plays it very well yeah man he was funny when he would get drunk that was those were some of the best scenes in, in the movie i think Playing music. Yeah, exactly. One thing I love, not to do a spoiler, this is just a tiny artistic moment. Spoiler. But when, when he's finally done in, how his echo lives on past him in the valley, like, yes. He, they're like experimenting with the echo. And, he's, and then he, oh, he right, says something, right, right. he's hit, lights out, and he still lives on for a brief second 
in an echo, and then he's gone forever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's such a weird little poetical moment for a 1946 crime genre film. Um, by by the way, this director didn't do too much. Tay Garnett, like this is really mm-hmm. the. The thing I really know him for from his filmography. I had to look up um, after watching this. I I was a little confused on how Cora was going to kill Nick. Um, She was handed, you know, a bag of ball bearings. And (laughs) then she was going up to hit him in the head is what I read later was that she was just going to sock him in the head with this bag of ball bearings and then make it seem like he fell in the tub. You know, older guy fell in the tub and killed himself or died. Um but I'm I'm thinking how this how this would work out, and I thought that she was gonna try to do like a marble thing and like throw him on the ground, and he would kind of like <laughs> slip like a cartoon, you know. And I was like, how the hell are they? Gonna, I was like, how the hell are they supposed to do this? <laughs> I mean, I guess it would have made for some good comedy and a little lighthearted approach, but yeah. <laughs> the slapstick. Well, quick, yeah, exactly. Back to the back to the legal system. It's funny, like in. Place in the Sun. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the scenes were boring for you, but uh, at least it resembled uh, our, our <laughs> something like our court system. Here, they had no jury at, at any point. Like the judge was just like doing everything. It was like you, you remember, like like Hume Cronin brings up a oh no no we're we're not doing guilty anymore, and then the the DA is like oh what, and he's like Your Honor, <laughs> yeah. this is gonna embarrass me, and it's like yeah, okay, forget it then. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like. Total kangaroo it was like they were shit. In, like, it was like they were in divorce court. It was just like, just a yeah, it conversation. Like, it was just people's a, court. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pe- they were in people's court. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to go back to Hume Cronin real quick because you brought him up yeah. and I, I definitely have some highlighted notes here from him because I agree he was awesome. First of all, the way he lights up a cigar at the beginning. Everyone else is smoking cigarettes. This motherfucker pulls out a cigar and starts lighting <laughs> that thing up. Um, which, but, which also, real quick, like parallels that moment. In body heat, where that's like, hey, does anybody mind if I smoke real quick? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, I was just going to say. Robustos, and you're like, what exactly. The hell? Oh, sorry. Were you about to bring? <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's exactly what it was. It was like I, I feel like I feel like there was a ton taken from Postman for body heat. Um, specifically, I'm sorry. That's a side note. Let me let me just get back real quick. Yeah. I thought yeah, it was really sorry. interesting the um, the defense that Hume Cronin used, and he kind of tricked them into this fake confession to you know the detective, but he was just his. Dude that works for him, his gumshoe guy, as he calls him, oh, which right. what a what a name for a film noir, right? A gumshoe guy. Like, I think that that works great. <laughs> oh, um, James but I, Gandolfini. I like to call that actor yeah. James Gandolfini because <laughs> it's basically James Gandolfini. If he was like, if this is the 90s, that's who that. Who, yeah, who, yeah, who, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought that there was a lot of uh, cool stuff. But I think that that kind of goes back to what you were saying, Jeremy, that this wasn't probably the most like, you know, accurate uh, legal proceedings in you know portrayed on film uh it was probably a little bit off but and sensationalized a bit like specifically the the courtroom like just you know rang false a couple times i mean you know i thought that was like a really good reveal that you know having the stenographer be just like one one of his uh one of his one of the guys who who works for the defense yeah yeah um and by the way that guy uh his character's name was kennedy uh when John Garfield was beating the shit out of him. Like, he got so bloody, which, like, you know, for a yes. 40s movie. All over his face. Yeah. It was like, it, 
you know, normally you, you get socked and you just you just kind of pass out and you know this bloodless like fall. In this one, he was like blood was smearing all over his yeah. cheeks and mouth. Wait, do you crazy. mean when he does the slap 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 slap? Yeah, exactly. The, the it was like the high speed E Honda punch from Street Fighter. Just, Yo, yeah. when he slaps James Gandolfini, that's <laughs> oh, love it. We got to talk about Audrey Totter. Who yeah. had uh, so he? She's the one that like he Short just roll, right? Yeah. Well, they, are you talking she, about thin skirt, hot seat? <laughs> yes. Excuse me. You flooded your carburetor. You'll have to wait a while. And I'm gonna wait standing up. It's a hot day, and that's a leather seat. I've got a thin skirt. I'll cool the seat off for you. Thanks. Exactly. Oh <laughs> my God! For a 1940s audience, that Seriously. must have been like the yeah. most <laughs> thrilling thing they had ever heard. <laughs> So suggestive. No, but it, it, it reminded me, uh, like I mean, a little bit of the uh, the body heat, the first body heat exchange. Yes, yes, know, and exactly. It, it just yes. su- as suggestive, you know. Yes, yeah. and this is uh, Audrey Totter's first, I think, her first film noir role because she would pop up in the famous, awful but experimental but kind of cool Lady in the Lake. <laughs> Uh, and then tension. Oh yes, right. She's great. A lady in the lake. She's famous. There's a bunch of like gifts of her doing like facial reactions. I mean, she's fantastic <laughs> in the film. Tension. It, she's great in too. That movie is like, like, like playing a first person video game where it's like, you know, like, like it's they like playing, playing a first like... person video game if you make the most boring choices. It's like you just talk to people. <laughs> it's like, yeah. is it is it all first person perspective? Or... Yeah, exactly. Oh, interesting. What that very experimental then for the time. There's another noir that does it. Slightly better, but only for like the first third of the film. It's Dark Passage, the one where Humphrey yes. Barger. Yeah, that right. that begins with first person, but then they change it up, and that's where, just an where ex- he gets like plastic surgery to look like like Bogey. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, but we. That's a Tales from the Crypt episode. I'm the one that performed plastic surgery on you. I'm the guy that changed your face. Yeah, and made me look like Bogart. You know how hard that was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is totally a Tales from the Crypt episode. That's awesome. Awesome. Anyway, sorry. So, so Audrey Totter? Oh, she's just fantastic. I love Audrey Totter. I love her in Lady in the Lake. I love her in Tension. I love her in this. And apparently she had a much longer scene where she is oh. training cats. Like, not a joke. She's, like, apparently okay. a cat trainer. like a sort <laughs> Just of to a, set her up for her character? Or? Well, like a circus-type cat trainer. And apparently the test screenings... Oh, like, like large well, cats? Like... Lions and... I think I think so. Actually, re-reading It's not this... the cat that gets electrocuted, like <laughs> no, Christmas vacation I, style. I love it? that. I love that. <laughs> or did she train right, the cat to right. do that? Like, get up. <laughs> plot she twist. was working with him the whole time. That'd be yeah. a great twist. <laughs> that would be an amazing plot twist. She trained the fucking cat? That's oh, awesome. my God. Get up there. Uh, <laughs> apparently, test audiences hated the Audrey Totter cat training scene, so they cut it out. And James, the, the, there's a story about that. Uh, James M. Kane was at a test was at one of those test screenings and he snuck out to avoid talking to the producers afterwards because he was so <laughs> embarrassed. Uh, I mean I didn't I out. didn't miss yeah. it. I didn't miss that scene. Yeah. 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 Very brief. Very brief. But How she's much, great. Uh, did the swimming scene remind you of uh, Gattaca? Interesting. You know what I mean? Where she's like she's like goes all the way out and she's like, Well, you can just let me go or uh, bring me back or whatever, right? And it's like that they, they did a very similar gag in Gattaca. Apparent filmed in uh, filmed in Laguna Beach. Apparently, it was freezing 
uh, totally yeah, free and uh, foggy. It wasn't supposed to be foggy that day, but it was <laughs> ruined filming. Uh, and another thing, uh, parallel to Place in the Sun, uh, they've shot in Lake yeah. Tahoe for those lake scenes. October again, freezing, and then body, body heat, heat too. Yeah. Body heat too, freezing. Yeah. All of these are filmed <laughs> in summertime outdoors, and f- but like production was actually done in like awful weather for the actors. They, so. they said that the uh, William Hurt. And uh, Kathleen, Tur- Kathleen Turner, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, they had to like eat ice cubes before speaking on screens <laughs> to like. So there's no like breath. Yeah. Exactly. That's. And they all so look so funny. sweaty, so sweaty throughout that whole movie. I'm like, <sighs> they gotta be hot, right? This totally sells. And then that like misty uh, POV God, that they've got on the camera, or the lens on the camera. Everything was like, you know. Just- covered in fog or whatever it's like the fog machine was just working overtime to like make it look like steamy and hot and it was like it turns out it was freezing cold <laughs> that's that's so funny a couple other quick uh, connections on on postman like one you know i watched the man who wasn't there the coen brothers movie uh oh yeah pretty yeah. recently i totally forgot how much the coens ripped postman always rings twice off for that movie like I mean, everything from, you know, the, the main character, uh, you know, having to ride the lightning for the wrong murder. But like, you know, he was sort of cosmically guilty, but uh, not guilty of the one that uh, that was convicted of. The Hume Cronin character in Man Who Wasn't There was played by, um, oh God, uh, Monk. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Tony Shaloub. Tony Shaloub. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and he... he brilliant performance in that. Uh, I haven't seen it. Is that Billy Bob Thornton? Is that that one? Billy Bob Thornton. Um, Gandolfini. Francis McDormand. Gandolfini's Gandolfini. in it? Yeah. Yep, exactly. Of um, course, Francis McDormand's in it. Tony Shalhoub, a uh, handful of other, you know, Coen Brothers, uh, you know, stock company uh, players in there as well. But uh, anyway, definitely check it out. Um, and one last quick thing is like, you know, and, and this kind of like maybe touches on some of the other movies, but I think uh, this is because it was the first one in our sort of series, I wanted to bring it up here, which is like, they, they talk about this moment uh, where they talk about the sort of hot wind and it's like a you yes. know, funny climate here. The harder the wind blows, the hotter it gets. And he's like, yeah, that's what we call the Santiani. Uh, <laughs> it comes from the desert. Yes. And it's like, that is rip part and parcel right out of Raymond Chandler's Red Wind. Like the, that opening, like three lines of Red Wind is, is exactly about the effects that the the San, hot Santa Ana winds have on people and how they uh, you know drive them uh, drive them crazy. Uh, and if you're not familiar with that quote, I'll I'll read it real quick, which is um, very beginning of the story. Is there was a desert wind blowing that night? It was one of those hot, dry Santa Anas that come down through the mountain passes and curl your hair and make your nerves jump and your skin itch. On nights like that, every booze party ends in a fight. Meek little housewives find the edge of a carving knife and study their husband's necks. Anything can happen. And it's like, that is essentially the sort of like thesis statement for sort of all three of these movies, I think. It's like, Certainly. Jeremy, my, the hairs are standing up on my arm. <laughs> okay. Is it because so, of the Santa Ana wind? It is the Santa Ana winds. Because yeah. this Christmas, we watched The Holiday from 2006 starring Jack Black, Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz... <laughs> And Jude Law. There is a scene where Jack Black says, The wind. It's what makes it so warm at this time of year. Legend has it, 
When Santa Anna's blow, all bets are off. Anything can happen. Yeah. <laughs> the holiday steals from Raymond Chandler. There Folks, you go. this is a Grindhouse Institute breaking news exclusive scoop. <laughs> we have put it together because it has become it is one of her favorite movies. So she's seen the holiday minute. She she like owns it uh, on streaming. And I finally watched it. It's fun, enjoyable movie. Sure. The house, we actually, she loves it so much. We went to the house where that scene was filmed. She took a picture in front of it. <laughs> it, it was across the street from the Huntington Library. It was really easy. But long story oh, short, wow. okay. they, have a, they have a conversation of, you know, the Santa Anna wins. Kate wins, let's hear from England. Like the, right. the Santa Anna's. And he's like, anything can happen. All bets are off. Dude, right. I did not know they were stealing from Raymond Chandler. Yeah, like almost word for word. <laughs> That's, they were cribbing, that writer's cribbing from Raymond Chandler. And this pops oh, up wow. in Postman Always Rings Twice. I am, I'm loving this convo. I'm lo- this is bringing it into like in jokes with my girlfriend around Christmas time. Love it. It's great. It's great. Good Isn't stuff. that also part of William Hurt's uh, opening monologue in Body Heat? Doesn't he mention that uh, the heat can make you crazy and et cetera? Yeah. That's a huge part of it. Huge part of it. And I know it's not the Santa Ana's. It's just the heat he refers to. But I see right. the, the but, connection but it, there. It, it creates the motivation for... Uh... For, for taking things too far. I wouldn't have done it if not for that heat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, body heat's almost shameless because he's literally looking at, like, a burning fire. And yeah. it's like, that's a metaphor for everything that's going to happen. Oh, and yeah. eventually he's, like, blamed sort of for that. So it's like he's looped into that. Right. Just before we uh, jump from Postman, um, mm-hmm. uh, Lana Turner, uh, the only co-star John Garfield ever became uh, romantically involved with, which oh, I wow. find kind of interesting. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, really sad story with John Garfield, his uh, yeah. heart attack in 1951. Like, the, the, this, is, this was Hollywood, which is like a great account. Uh, this was Hollywood. That she, she had a book uh-huh. recently, covers John Garfield and all his problems against uh, uh, the, the HUAC the hearings. HUAC, yeah. HUAC, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think he's only he, 39, too, when he, when, he, when he passed away. So, and that's uh, why he's not really talked about, I think, these days. Yeah. Because he didn't live on to that. But he's the um, precursor to everybody, right? Brando and like all yeah, these 100%. leading actors. Yeah, 100%. And the last thing I think is interesting about this film is that uh, how people start coming to the restaurant more after the trial, it shows that people have been into true crime forever. You know what I mean? These are literally like, these are last podcasts on the left. They're bloggers. Yeah, that's what I was saying. They're like full of bloggers now. Oh, there's a murder here. Exactly. They would have all had podcasts, all those restaurants. Exactly. I I say that with all due respect because movie podcasts are one thing. No, no, no. no, I'm not trying to. I'm saying because true crime podcasts. True crime podcasts are a very distinct flavor of individuals. Totally, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, It's a specific genre. This is a fake crime podcast. So yeah, <laughs> I guess some some of the movies might be based on real crime, though. Yeah. Place in the I guess this this was based on a real crime, right? This was based on. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, actually, actually, both the first two movies were, were based yeah. on sort of Wait, real po- crime. Wait, Postman was? Uh, uh, I, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, just like with double. There was some some case. Uh, the ca- the 1927 case of Ruth Snyder. Interesting. And, it also was sort of the inspiration for double indemnity because I think in that Ruth Snyder thing, she took out a double indemnity clause or whatever. Uh, but anyway, it, it's like, you know, since uh, James M. Cain wrote the book twice, uh, <laughs> he wrote it as Postman and then he wrote it as double indemnity. He kind of used that same uh, inspiration 
uh, on both of them. Gotcha, gotcha. Brilliant. I had no idea it was based on a real event. A Place in the Sun is based on a fellow named Chester Gillette. Yep. And it was in a similar situation to this, but he was also sent... He, he was also riding the lightning by the end of uh, his career. <laughs> I believe it was a, a lake in upstate New York, and it's supposed to be haunted to this day, the ghost of Grace Brown. Uh, let's get some podcasters up there, the haunted podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> they need to go have lunch and a picnic up there and see the ghosts. Um, well, speaking of Place in the Sun and like the, uh, the, the true crime inspiration there... Um, do you have any uh, background on that that real crime? Uh, well, yeah. Well, Brian, you you touched on the name Chester Gillette, uh, mm-hmm. murdered Grace Brown, nineteen oh six. He was executed, rode the lightning in nineteen oh eight. She haunts the lake, and that inspired the Dreiser novel American Tragedy. Just awful title. I mean, I get I get that <laughs> at the time, but an American Tragedy. Just it's hard to Google. Can't Google. Yeah. Hard to Google that title. <laughs> You know, I mean, 1925, they're probably not thinking about that, but I, you know, I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, yeah. Why weren't they thinking about that? That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Totally. Luck is a Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't name the movie On the Waterfront. Hard to find. It's just it's hard, to, hard to find in searches. Uh, okay, so this movie was a huge, huge hit. Yeah, uh, yeah. Multiple Oscars, big box office returns. First ever Golden Globe. First Golden Globe for Best Picture. Charlie Chaplin said the greatest American film ever made. Uh, <laughs> some people, it, it has gone in and out of favor. Uh, like it had a, it seems to have had a period critically when it was like not very popular, when it was sort of considered stodgy. Mm, I don't sure. know where we are right now. I love it. I I love a place. In the I sun. thought it was great. I'm glad. What did you guys like about it? I'm so glad. I'm so glad you guys saw. Well, this the first time. I, I think you 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 hit it. First of all, this didn't fit within the femme fatale and like the format of the of the other films we watched today mm-hmm. or talking about today. This was a totally different um, type of story, and I thought that was very interesting. But it kind of reminded me of cousin Greg from Succession. If you guys watch Succession, uh-huh, he's yeah, he's, yeah the, the the nephew of Hirsch or whatever the hell the guy's name is uh, that the, runs yeah, the, the magazine. Patriarchal billionaire. That exactly. Yeah. It's his around, nephew. Yeah. So he's, he's the same kind of situation where he's like kind of an outsider, still family gets a shot in this like entry level position at the company. And it kind of goes through this whole thing. And I really like to see how they move George Eastman from, getting reacquainted with his family, getting that entry-level position, and then meeting, you know, this woman that he thinks he's in love with, but then he sees, like, what's out there, what he could really achieve, <laughs> right? And But even with his name, you know, I think he wants to achieve that. And it's it was I thought that was just an interesting, interesting flow, interesting well, story. That's, that, that's true. I, and I think between Postman and Place in the Sun, you know, there's just, like, so many similarities, you know, both based on sort of true stories, you know, both about you know this sort of lower class uh, person you know trying to uh, climb and claw and fight their way into uh, you know more wealth. Hitchhiking. Both begin with hitchhiking. H- hitchhiking. Mm-hmm. Um, the death that they get sort of blamed for in the end, and all, there's always like 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 really interesting things that like connect them. And I, I was I was kind of worried that body heat uh, not being able to fit in here, but it, it's funny like. You know, in all three of these, like the sort of the the, the main guy uh, who ends up in jail and, and accused of murder and all these other things, is sort of you know just driven and totally motivated by uh, you know and, and drunk with with lust in in, in all three of these movies. Uh, and I, I think in that sense, like all three of them kind of tied together like a lot better than I originally thought they were mm-hmm. going. to. I completely agree. I when you said, I do not. Th- I mean, only because of time period and the fact that it's in color. 
I mean, mm-hmm. Body Heat is not an anomaly with these two because, man, all three, the main protagonist guy, whatever you want to call the 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 sap the poor sap uh-huh. is fucked is fucked sent 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 to die or sent to a life in prison you know yeah it's mm-hmm. um no it's it's a very very good through line between the three uh place in the sun Angela Vickers right Elizabeth Taylor is this the worst hot girl summer that Angela Vickers has ever had honest question right because this is yeah. a pretty bad this is a bad yeah. summer pretty bad summer yeah. Yeah. And what I what I love about her, which is also I think, I think is something kind of ineffable that you actually find in fiction and sometimes even in like high school in real life, there's something about the uber attractive human being that is able to cut through mm-hmm. the bullshit because of the way people treat them, they almost see people at their most base reactions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like there's almost like a laser skepticism of adulthood. And I would see that sometimes, I think, in, like, very attractive friends. Maybe I'm, I really hope I'm not projecting this, but, like, I sometimes, and maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not there at all. But, like, I do think that there is, like, this ability, this, like, crystal clear, whether she knows it or not, that Elizabeth Taylor has. And that I think sometimes youth has, privileged youth has, to see through bullshit. And also clouded by bullshit, but able to call, <laughs> able to speak very bluntly and plainly in a way that their status and looks afford them to. Because, like, she's... Right, a... every, everything in their life is about flattering them, you know? Uh, especially with this Elizabeth Taylor character. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, whether it's class or whatever their experience is, she is able to just, like, say, like... She sees him playing pool alone. She's like, are you being exclusive? Are you being dramatic? And then she says uh-huh. to him, you seem so strange, you know? I mean, yeah, he's... He hitchhiked with a note from his uncle and comes from like a super religious background. He has no small talk. He's a weird right, dude, right? right? Yeah. right. So she calls it like it is immediately. And I feel like that's something that's not talked enough about with these sort of like, I mean, I hate to use a stupid turn, but these like cliche hot girl characters, which I mm-hmm. guess she might have been, but I feel like there's so much more about those characters and so much more about her in this. She was mm-hmm. the only one not nominated. She was like 18. Not nominated. Uh, Monty Clift and... Monty Clift. I say that like I'm like yeah. fucking like... <laughs> Your buddies with him, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. My, yeah, my buddy. Like I'm like... You know, some, like Good old better. Monty. You, you fist bump him when you, when you see him? <laughs> I do. I do. I do. Uh, Montgomery Clift and Shelley Winters were nominated. She wasn't. So I'll, I'll stop going on about... She has this, this mm-hmm. weird sensibility that you almost find in real life among these super attractive well healed it's uh not that it's even a good thing but she has it and it's it seems very true to life i don't know yeah it, it's interesting like i mean because you imagine that in in a film noir setting with elizabeth taylor especially the way her character is introduced one would expect her to be playing that role of the film uh, femme fatale excuse me of like you know just manipulating you know poor montgomery cliff he had no idea what was coming to him right you kind of expected that to play out. Now, I think because that didn't happen, it, it kind of like falls more onto the the melodrama, uh, you know, side of the scale rather than film noir. Mm. If you're talking about the, the balance between the two, but uh, you know, how amazing was Shelley Winters in this? I mean, I think this is probably the youngest I had seen her. I mean, she of course you know was in you know Lolita and and uh, you know later in life like Poseidon Adventure and stuff like that, Night of the Hunter. 
But like apparently early on in Shelley's career, she was uh, sort of being groomed to be the, the sort of bombshell or the object of, of uh, the lust of the audience and everything else. And she played sort of against type in this, whereas maybe a year previous, the studio heads would have had her play the Elizabeth Taylor role. Instead, she, she played the sort of uh, the, the lowly and um, poor and, you know, just uh, shit upon character that she was in this movie, which I, I feel like she plays almost a, that a very similar role, but a little older in, in Lolita, if you guys have seen that. Oh, yeah. Love, love Lolita. I mean, I mean the, the book Lolita is one of my favorite. I mean, it's so I mean, it's not to, to use a word I kind of hate. It, it is problematic for whatever reasons, but it's like, man, it's funny. The book is one uh-huh. of the funniest fucking things I've ever read. And uh, I, I remember really enjoying the film. Shelley Winters just always astounds me. She pops up in a lot of noir. I mean, there's a noir with Jack Palance that ends on a mountainside. The name is eluding is that, me right uh, now. Big Knife? Uh, that might, I think that's it. I think that that's it. Yeah, it's... Um, uh, I mean, she's she's great. It, mo- it mostly takes place in that in that the cabin. room. Yeah, because it was like kind of a play or something, right? My and, grandma, uh, not to make it personal, uh, my uh-huh. I, my grandma who you know was like uh, in like San Jose in like the forties and fifties. Uh, I died a thousand times. That was the Jack Balance oh, okay. Shelley Winters. Lee Marvin. Uh, my grandma really oh. loved Shelley Winters. So we have like I grew up like watching Poseidon Adventure. It was like a we you know whenever it was on we'd watch it. Um, <laughs> um, she's nice. she's great. Did you hear the story about how she showed up to the interview? Uh, the director didn't want to like give her the role because of as you mentioned her bombshell image. But she mm-hmm. kind of came in dowdy clothes without an unflattering hairdo, and uh, the director he didn't even recognize her. And <laughs> sort of like a Dustin Hoffman, uh, how he got the Ratso Rizzo role, you know, oh, he like was right. like homeless in disguise when he, when the director went to meet him, and he got the role. Right. You know, so she she pulled one of those, which uh, she's great. Yeah, she's. I do think she oversells it a little bit in the boat, a little bit, and it's not even her. I think it's just the writing because mm-hmm. uh, anytime someone starts, you know, I mean, you know, the whole wish upon a star is that's one thing. But she starts saying, <laughs> talking about the future and the kids they're going to have. I mean, yeah. that's just, that's the cinematic death now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I'd even go back one line before that when she says, um, my husband's a great swimmer. No worries that we're going to go out here when they're not married yet. I'm like, you just fucked yourself, girl. It is just so ham-fisted with the foreshadowing. And then yeah. the mockery. Of him mm. when he gets so when he leaves his vacation to go on another vacation to murder her, double <laughs> murder, right? He goes back to his vacation. They say to him like, "Hey, you have a woman stashed away somewhere." Yeah, and, exactly. And then like one of the girls is no. Like, he's like someone's like pushed off a dock, and she like screams, and he looks at that, and it bothers him. It's like it's yeah. so funny how they like deal with the repercussions. I mean, not funny. It's it's uh, it has ripple ripples both before and after. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, but I thought it was hilarious that the reason he got caught up in all of that was that Alice saw him partying in the paper. Uh, that with, photo. With, that how funny is that photo? Yeah, he's just having. It's like having the. He, he if he just had like a leg around his neck, exactly. that would have been the only detail. That was also hilarious when they were sitting at the tiki party that they had, or the, the Hawaiian party. 
<laughs> oh yeah, because yeah. he actually does at one point. That's right. But they he, all have lays on at the at yeah. the table there. Yeah. That phone call is got to be one of the most like tense, <laughs> horrifying. Like I'm here now. I'm yeah, yeah I'm in are. town. Um, where? <laughs> <laughs> horrifying. Yeah, but I mean, you know, rightfully so. I mean, Jesus. Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. How yeah. how funny was it that like you know on their you know whatever that was second or third date with uh, you know Montgomery Cliff and Shelley Winters, they come home it starts raining they like oh well we'll just wait on the porch for a little bit and wait out this rain like meanwhile like the the top is down on the convertible it's just like filling up with water and then they go inside and it, you know the camera sort of modestly creeps over to the window to to not uh you know see any, any sexual uh interactions and then it like you know it dissolved it, it time dissolves right? to the morning yeah and he leaves and, and then he, he pieces out. He goes like, down the stairs, yeah. But that that shot in particular was stolen in Blood Simple. Uh, again, the Coen brothers, like, <laughs> you know, uh, again, it was like, you know, two characters having an affair. The, the camera kind of moves over to the window. Outside the window is a car. And, like, it dissolves to the morning. And the I love car it. is still there. I, I didn't yeah, make awesome. that connection. I'm so glad that you made that connection. That <laughs> is, when I first saw that, it freaked me out how brilliant. I yeah. that sequence is just so because you totally. imagine the sex scene without everything that they do, it's your own scene. You imagine it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And the the that weird haunting kind of shitty song that's just kind of like a nothing like jazz background song, but how it zooms in and then it goes to day and the car stays in the back. I, I love oh, right. everything, yeah, I the song. Yeah, yeah. everything about that scene. And then, so the radio in that mm. moment, then later it's a radio again on the dock. Yes. Oh, right. As they take off. Talking about the murder, right? Talking about the murder. And it's yeah. on this floating dock with the, I mean, there's something about radios about in uh-huh. this movie. The yeah. way the way that they designed that sound, yeah. they had the boat kind of come around and drown out what the radio was saying at one point, uh-huh. yes. and then it would come back in at the important parts, and it was really, really well done. I took a note of that after. It's great. I'm so glad. I didn't even notice that. See, like, I love that scene so much. I didn't even, yeah. it didn't yeah. occur to me. Yes, you're right. It does, it's amazing sound design. It's great editing. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. Well, it's awesome. There was this really interesting, you know, just film form uh, aspect to the movie where it's like during sort of that, uh, I don't know, first half, uh, before the walls start closing in on Montgomery Cliff, uh, we spent a lot of time with, you know, a camera just like stuck in a position and characters kind of move in and out of like being closer to it and being further away from it. Like there's that example where he takes the call out in the hallway, you know, the camera is left in his room and he's taking a call like further, you know, further away. <laughs> and like, and he kind of comes back, it rings and he picks it up later. There's the shot where, uh, Chili Winters is talking to him and like, she's sitting on one side of her dining room table, her back's the camera the entire time. Camera does like, does, doesn't move. They're just kind of like moving around the room, but getting further away from the camera. And like the camera like stays really far away until the time where like things start getting claustrophobic mm. or his uh, lust goes into overdrive. Like we get that haunting close up of Elizabeth Taylor, you know, hugging him on that porch that we kind of see. Oh, I love multiple that times. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, yeah. you know, the parts where he, he gets that phone call at, at the at the luau you were talking about earlier, where it's like, you know, it just that sweaty, you know, forehead. And he's like, what? Uh, where are you? And like, you know, it's like, and then uh, again on that boat too, where it's like 
tight close-up of Shelly Winters, tight close-up of Montgomery Clift, tight close-up. But, you know, until the walls start closing down on him, we are, like, staying pretty far away from what's going on with him. Yeah. Almost as if, you know, we, we don't know what he's up to. We don't know what he's thinking with, you know, who he's in love with or in lust with or, or whatever. It's great that you picked that up. The, the noose closing in is a classic noir trope. As yeah, the story yeah, goes, yeah. then and Cohen brothers are really good at that too. The, mm-hmm. the 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 circumstances getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. Uh, that and this doing it also in proximity to the the distance of the the camera to the the performer. The closing in in space is uh, a really Physically, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's I'm really glad that you picked up on that because I noticed that this time too how it really is very tight at the end and mm-hmm. uh, yeah I I love it yeah. It, it it's funny like moments like that. I was like, okay, now I'm feeling the film noir some more. Like, I had heard of this movie, but I, I had heard of it in the context of it being sort of, yeah, like a, an Academy Award, like an Oscar bait type, uh, you know, melodrama type film. It looks more, it looks much more boring than it is, is how <laughs> totally, I always thought totally. about it. Yeah, That's well, a great way to put it. Yeah. When, I, when I grabbed the DVD uh, to rent it, I was like, uh, is this the right one? Because like, I just wanted to make sure we were talking about the same movie. But it's funny because, like, you know, there are so many, like, risque moments in the movie like especially like if you remember um montgomery cliff the, the, the reason he's on the phone is he's, he's trying to find a, a doctor who's gonna perform uh something that we can't say in 1951 and then shelly winters goes and sees some doctor that he looked up and it's like they're having this abortion conversation without actually saying oh the that word. seems awful with the doctor yeah that's yeah. That's, that's heartbreaking with the doctor yeah totally, totally. yeah yeah. And, and and I love how the doctor's like, oh, the, why don't you just go? I mean, they're free hospitals. Why don't you go deal with one of those? Like, wait, wait, what? What country is this? <laughs> but do you remember um, the scene right after that when she tells Montgomery Clift about, you know, what the doctor had said in yes. that car? Oh, it's my God. Yes. pitch black. Like, right. they, they and, don't, and you don't, you don't see, see their face, face at, all. at all. And you see this, like, little slit for just her like eyes. Like, yeah, here exactly. and here. Yeah. Like, it's, like, just b- barely lit. Right, right. It's like, it's like the Dracula... Yes, uh, you know, exactly. Like eye light on Shelly yeah. Winters. The that that is a classic. Uh, yeah, the ping right on the eyes. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> um, a couple things about Place the Sun. Uh, one thing that I wonder: there's a part uh, right after their night together where they're like standing next to each other, and the uncle comes by and he's basically sort of teasing a promotion. George says something <laughs> kind of like like some throwaway line about like I have I'll have that production report for you right away. Uh, oh right. What? the fuck does that production <laughs> report possibly look like from this wandering kid who is a nephew who grew up in like this uber what is he what is it what is he what is he writing what is it? well i mean you, you, you do see him doing the, like so he, he sits on the assembly line and then he he like jots some stuff yeah down like how to I make mean, it that, efficient I, I, yeah, I, I know, yeah i know what you're asking like what could it possibly be fire more people and make a machine out of this stuff? I, 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 I might, might have salami sandwich today thursday's pastrami like what could it possibly be is it miss just libby's a... car is green yeah it's it's details it's useless yeah. but the idea that like he like, has this like nonsense report is just like yeah. what could it also it's tps uh, if he, it's his TPS yeah, yeah. report. <laughs> gotta get those done. Right. He's got to get his TPS report in. Uh, the other thing that occurred to me is that if uh, if he followed the rules and didn't sleep with a coworker, everything would have worked out. 
Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't yeah, have had exactly. a movie. Yeah, <laughs> he would. He would have met Angela Vickers at the end yeah. of the summer, and then it just it just would have it, you know he would have probably fucked it up eventually. Bungled. So it, I, I wanted to bring that up. That's interesting. And I was at, questioning the same thing. Why did he choose the first girl that he saw? And I'm thinking based on his background, that might be the first woman that he saw like in his new free life away from his right, religious exactly. family and all that. Here's what I'm guessing: is it's that because he he goes to the movies. And I, he's very aggressive with her. And I think that he's, like, mimicking the way guys are in movies at the time. You so know, very, know. like... Yeah, he doesn't know. Uh, you know, he might have had... I, 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 that's a really good call. It probably is his first dalliance. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an interesting reading. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was kind of what I was... Because I had the same question. I was like, uh... Um, I, you know what's funny? I, I really thought that the... While they were reenacting the boat in the courtroom... Yeah. Oh yeah, that's so weird. I I kept like waiting for that part that he tripped on the the little like line yes. that was like coiled up in the boat. I kept waiting for that to come back and like, oh, that's why he couldn't swim to help her or something. But uh, it kind of didn't come back. I mean, was it I, just or, a flub that they left in there? Infer that that was a piece of it. Yeah, or was it a flub? Yeah, who knows? I I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, is that going to come back? And did he like jar something loose, or was that a mistake? And like the director was like, oh. This was a natural thing. You you, we'll leave that in there because it like makes it look real. I, I think know. it's that. I think it's that. Yeah. I just think it's a such an odd visual. The boat in the uh, the courtroom. I yeah. I just think. But to be honest, I think I've already said it. That 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 courtroom trial portion kind of loses. Steam for me, just to... <laughs> well, it, it it teaches you a valuable lesson. Just don't be honest on the stand. Like when he says, "Yeah, I wanted to kill her when I went out there," but yeah. then I decided not to. Yeah. <laughs> like, it would have helped the story just to like omit that little part. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to tell him everything. <laughs> Try totally. to keep something to yourself. No, yeah. He, yeah, he doesn't have to say that. He doesn't have to say that at all. No, that's not also at all. like that's kind of like a classic like weird thing of noir detective fiction in general like there is often an ending where like the case is solved and you know someone like Mm -hmm. says i know what's really going on and then someone confesses on the spot they don't have to do that they don't have to do that (laughs) nobody nobody at that moment they can say i want a lawyer i want to be in a court i want a cop i want they don't have to to like a private investigator like some schlub it's like I'm right. Philip Barlow, you're great, but like I don't have to say shit in front of you. You know, it's like so like that idea that it's like you're right and everything just spills out is such a funny cliche, but right. Um, they, they, they just get them all worked up. I mean, it happened in in Postman too. It's like that that's the reason John Garfield confessed. Oh, it's God. Like, you know. Yeah, and the worst metaphor, I love the title, but the worst metaphor. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It doesn't work for me the whole, you know. It doesn't hold up at all, right? I mean, not, no, not even in the least. Yeah. No, no. The well, postman it, coming around. It, you're getting, it should have been called Final Destination because you know, he didn't go down for the one murder, but he went down for the other murder. So it's like, you know, <laughs> karma gets him. Uh, final karma, maybe. <laughs> Ooh. Final karma. Final karma. It's like directed it's a, by Jeremy Floyd. Straight to Redbox. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a retelling of the Postman <laughs> by Jeremy Floyd. Right, right. I mean, it's a cool. In Redbox. It's a cool title, but it just is such a weak metaphor. You know, I don't know, man. It's... Which is also like just like not addressed at all in the book. They at least tried to address it in the movie where he's like, yeah, well, the postman will come ringing for you the second time or something at the very end of speech there. But like in the book, it's just like, well, it's just the title. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd almost rather have that, you know, yeah. <laughs> just the ominous sounding um 
uh, Place in the Sun's good. You know, it's very. It almost sounds like a Douglas Sirk film, which I I thought it was. I thought it was Dude, much okay, more of that. Kind exactly. Of, like yeah. the 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 poster art, all, all that stuff. Like and like the fact that it was like you know Academy Award winning whatever. I I thought okay Douglas Sirk right. It's just it's, it's going to be a straight melodrama. I want to make sure this is the right movie. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys got a chance to see it. I feel like totally, it's totally. both like over celebrated and under celebrated at the same time if that's possible like it's like yeah. it, it's made a lot of the important lists but then it's really not talked about as much it, parts of it haven't aged well but then it's also very i mean montgomery clift is so i love from here to eternity and uh what is it the yeah. misfits his last movie is a really interesting movie called the defector uh if you ever have a chance he plays a cia agent in germany it's uh it's it, there's a scene where he's like Amazing poisoned in a hotel room and so it's like tripping balls monty clift it's a very weird cool. movie yeah check that movie out yeah what was it again the the defector the defector um I, I you were speaking of like very cool titles of movies and i'd love to hear your impression of the title of body heat because it is so on the nose for this movie um <laughs> but what do you think of this title oh it's perfect it's, yeah it, 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 it's, it couldn't be any more perfect <laughs> Even even the main femme fatale, Maddie Walker, her body runs hotter than 100 degrees. She said right, this. Right, Literally, right. she's got body heat. Something wrong with her engine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, l- let me guess. You have the right tool to fix it? <laughs> <laughs> this movie made me laugh more than more than I probably should have. Like, I was... I was Pretty much totally. laughing I mean, my ass off the whole time. It, it's but supposed to be funny, though. So I, I think, you know, that's the correct reaction. Yeah. It is so great. Um, and you can tell, like, this is just, you know, Lawrence Kasdan kind of coming in there and being like, I watched all these films growing up, and I really love these old classic mm-hmm. films. I'm going to make this as current as I can yeah. while still upping the ante with a lot of the sexual, you know, scenes and the sex in general and, like, the somewhat nudity, like... The strange, like, just to the to the hip yeah. of William Hurt, you know, like very close. We're getting close, you know. We're not going to show everything, yeah. but um, it's right. really, really risque. We're and, to see some and, hairs, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How? So, real quick, going back to a comment you made earlier, Alex, about the the music. So, like, the music was done by uh, John Barry, and I was mm-hmm. like, man, where have I heard that name? Where have I heard that name? Is and he the I, Bond I like, guy? He did the Bond music for the first you know dozen movies. It's the Bond guy, yeah. And yeah. it is especially uh, uh, notable in the opening credit sequence where it's like we keep seeing this like silhouette of uh, you know some hips and you know like this like this <laughs> naked woman and it's like you I know, see it's where like you're a, going. A John Barry yeah. opening credit sequence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, I, that's it's straight uh, out of Bond. That's very astute. I I love that. Yeah, that's. Uh... That's fantastic. That's a great call. Well, and I love how this movie, casting-wise, managed to get all these actors before they were kind of big stars. I mean, William Hurt, Kathleen Turner, even Ted Danson. This is before Cheers, right? I mean, this is like... So it's before Creepshow, then? It was a year before Creepshow. Really? Okay. Uh, This is like the movie to see, summer of 1981. Mickey Rourke? Rourke. Yeah, Mickey Rourke. Um, I wanted to bring up Mickey Rourke. Uh, He was great in this is the projectionist instead of the projectionist he was the <laughs> the arsonist in this one you know yeah. like but what what a what a what an interesting character i mean was he one of his previous clients is that why he knew him is that what ned says uh right right re- okay yeah, he, he, he got him be. off on something he got right? him off on arson charges or something but the guy's still a bomb maker they did like allude to to that yeah and exactly yeah. and he's he's 
super loyal to him and no questions asked. So because, great. Uh, but he's like, man, you don't need to do what you're doing, man. You yeah. don't want to do what you're doing. <laughs> Make sure you want to okay. do it. His intro where he's like mouthing along to like the rock and roll song. It's like yeah. so self-aware. It's like trying to shoehorn in like, this is the cool guy now. Yeah. You know, it's very... <laughs> the uh, badass. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not very subtle. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to see if this sounds familiar. Anytime you try a decent crime, you got 50 ways you can fuck up. If you think it's 25 at end, then you're a genius. And you ain't no genius. You remember who told me that? And you know, I actually thought this was like a weird bellwether or sort of canary in the coal mine of uh, all the erotic thrillers to come in the 90s. You know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cinemax was paying attention when they were watching this one. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. I mean, this yeah. had such a i mean i don't know how direct that is but it just seems like an influence you know um so many details and that that exchange earlier that you guys talked about like finding the right tool i think he even ends it with saying something like that's really corny <laughs> so like it's so smart like the characters are even aware to like right avoid right. cliche because that line's hilarious but then they like back away and they're like okay we're actually trying to like hit on each other here. How great was the end of that scene where it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna leave. You leave a little bit later. It's like, well, are you gonna? Is anybody gonna believe that? Right? Like we've been sitting here talking and getting along so long. And she's like, okay, great. And then she like slaps him across the face. <laughs> yeah. Did she? Yeah. Did she have him cased out before they ever meet? Or yes. after? Yes. Yeah, so the, the, yeah. That's that scene was yeah. where yeah. he runs that's into that guy. He's like, oh. uh the guy that sued him hey, once. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, you, you sued me and, and uh, fuck you. Well, get out of here. And he's like, well, I, I tried to send you some business. Yeah, I wanted actually. to make up for yeah. things, so I sent you this great woman. But I, I, I guess what I'm asking is because he meets her at the, the, the boardwalk fair sort of situation, but she just stands up in the crowd and then walks out and then uh -huh. he follows her. So I'm thinking, like, did she maybe do that? after yeah, exactly. that first encounter or she did it like three or four times and, and he didn't notice her and exactly then, like, that was the one that he noticed. <laughs> totally totally that's that's when you go beyond the page of the script that <laughs> yeah. she's been trying that for hours right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah no exactly. i i love this film so much uh, well i think the the casting too i thought richard krenna i believe his name is yeah, was was right. was amazing in this um especially yeah. when he when he called uh kathleen turner's ex a dorcas you'd never believe the dorcas she was with when i met her i hadn't heard the word dorcas <laughs> probably since 1981 yeah, very since, sincere since like a kid mm. called you that <laughs> exactly when he, yeah. chrissy was watching that with me she's like did he just say dorcas i used to i used to call my friends dorcas <laughs> That's great. The um, that's great. I guess it was this movie that that uh, sort of again quoted Red Wind, uh, the Raymond Chandler story, mm -hmm. and I think it was when Ted Danson and William Hurt and the judge from A Few Good Men are all sitting around in that little uh, that diner, mm -hmm. and the the cop friend has a, a Red Wind speech like, oh yeah, pretty much anything's possible. Like yeah, if the heat doesn't let up, you know, <laughs> everyone's gonna start killing each other or whatever. No, those diner scenes. I love how overblown those diner scenes are. Yeah, and it, it's so. Are you talking about the photography or oh, the photography? Just mm -hmm. like it's so backlit naturally. They're like, it's not how it would occur to one to light a scene mm -hmm. like that because it's so overblown in the back with this natural white light which is a bit like being someplace like florida or if you don't have your sunglasses you know like if you're, mm -hmm. you're like squinting all the time when like the light's bouncing off like 
white pavement or like slight salmon colored pavement like mm-hmm. that i mean it parts of la too you know it's like if you don't have your sunglasses you're fucked so it's like <laughs> i love those diner scenes because it really does like it's so not how you see restaurant conversation scenes filmed and it is a reminder of just how fucking miserable hot it is because it's kind of miserable to look at to be honest and it has a little bit of that 80s vaseline can i yeah i want to agree with you um and the most uncomfortable thing to look at on on screen was watching William Hurt jog for what looks like 10 God, miles yes. and then start smoking cigarettes. <laughs> More than once. Love Calm down, it. man. Can you just get, get, and he doesn't even, he can't even catch his breath and he's trying to God. inhale a cigarette. I'm like, are you I, insane? I used to like get up at five in the morning to go play soccer in, in uh, South Pasadena. And you'd get there, you have to like sign up on a sheet and everything. It was a full field, 11 on 11. It was like, you know, just insane thing. And they, you know they do a short match, so it wasn't like you know an hour and a half or whatever. But like these guys, I was playing with. I was like the only white guy there, and it was all Thai uh, uh, players, and they would all like get off the field after running in the entire length of the field, and just all start smoking. And I was like, "What no the way. fuck are you doing? No Man, way! How are you doing this?" I, I dude, yeah, yeah. I, I'm completely. Winded. I mean, I, you know what? I watch a lot of these film noir films, and I'm like. I want a cigarette. Sometimes the guys look so cool smoking cigarettes, <laughs> yeah. you know. In this oh, yeah. one, it, it made me, like, vomit. I was like, yeah, I can't yeah. even watch this. I think Ted Danson even has a line. He's like, I'll just breathe the air. You know? Exactly. Just, He's yeah. the one that doesn't yeah. smoke, yeah. yeah. But I think that's yeah. the cigar scene, right? That's the, yeah, the yeah, dissertation? Yeah. yeah. Right, right. yeah that's when they're really going it. over the, the probate. Or Did I call it a the... dissertation? That's not yeah. what they're called. Yeah. D- deposition. 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 <laughs> and you know what's so funny? I think that that was the, he he knows exactly what she's up to with her performance because uh-huh. after she pretends to learn that she's inheriting everything the focus goes to him and i right. feel like he's like watching her and at the very end of the scene the can mm-hmm. he like turns away towards the camera so i feel like in knowing her past you know having to to warn his friend he knows that she's faking performing learning that she would get everything he's the only right. one in the room that knows which that. like starts yeah. to put his antenna up or whatever like finally 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 after all this like you know finally like hey maybe not everything she says is true right it's ted like... danson was telling him throughout the entire movie <laughs> as as well as the the detective friend of theirs uh-huh. telling him the whole time stay the hell away from that woman and he just couldn't do it because right. he was so wrapped up in that that lust thing. Totally. She had her hooks uh, deep inside him. They're all kind of naive. And that's one of the things about noir is you get in over your head. All noir yeah. is about people just getting in over their head. And sometimes they're kind of dumb. And William Hurt in this film is kind of, he's kind of thick, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I love is uh, that right after the murder happens, everything is shrouded in fog. You know, it's very minor and it's almost a little bit on the nose in terms of like film school <laughs> symbolism. But like, man, I love it. Um, yeah. And you know, it was almost uh, Christopher Reeve. Uh, William Hurt was yeah. almost Christopher Reeve. Yeah. yeah. He turned it down, though. I think he didn't want to. He, he didn't feel himself to be a sexy person like William Hurt is. I guess <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny sentence said out loud. I wanted to talk about the ending real quick. Um so there was a body that is found in the exploded building, correct? Mm-hmm. Was mm-hmm. it the friend? She that... killed her friend. I think she killed right, her the, friend. The Marianne Simpson. She did kill her friend. Like the one who was like, 
hey, you want to fuck? And it's like, oh, wait, yeah. no, 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 sorry, wrong person. Oh, so Sorry. So, so when Ted Danson, or I forget who it is at the end, confirms with him that the remains were certified to be hers, and yeah. in the yearbook, he learns that her friend was actually right, the, named the, Maddie. The names were transposed. Yeah, yeah, so that Maddie actually did die. But that's, that's not so, so fucked up, right? Like, so in, right. The, in the darkness, she must have set it up. And that's also why when Mickey Rourke, it was this time when he mentions, she mm-hmm. asked me about doing it with a delay. I'm like, oh, the delay. That's how she got away. It's like, it's so minor, but like it's that movie right, thing of, right, well, right, because right. they mentioned I didn't catch those, that either. That's a great call. He, yeah, she asked about building a bomb for a door with a delay. With a delay. So she does something in the silhouette to get her friend, I think, to open up. And then that's why at the end she pulls the great ending. I mean, there's a great other noir, Purple Noon, which became talented Mr. Ripley, ends in a very mm. similar way with a slight twist of like an exotic location and someone somewhere new. Um, I I thought she was great. That was yeah. my my next my next question though, because you know he sees the uh, the yearbook right, and in her ambition it says to live rich in a in an exotic land, right? That's her mm-hmm. ambition as a, as a high schooler. Like, to get rich and live in an exotic land or something like that, yeah. And she does, right? Because she, she's with some guy that's clearly speaking right. Portuguese or something. I don't know. There, she must be in, I guess, mm-hmm. Brazil or somewhere. I don't know where, where she is. But do you think she's doing this all over again? Or is she done and, and enjoying no, it, her... It, it was like she got everything she wanted, including her high school yearbook ambition... And she's fucking miserable. Right. Okay. That's okay. Great. She's not happy where she is still. And and speaking of suckers, like it, it was so interesting. Like you, you're bringing that up earlier, and it's like, yeah, there is sort of like you have to be a sucker to get kind of you know roped into, you know, it, it, it's the old expression, you can't cheat an honest man, right? It's like every, every you know you know film noir uh, protagonist who gets in over his head is always uh, like a sucker like this, right? But like, you know, the idea here is so interesting because it's like, you know, Kathleen Turner couldn't manipulate Richard Corena uh, the way that she could William Hurt because, you know, Richard Corena is more evil than she is. And like, you know, he's not a sucker. It's like she had to find the guy to like, to, you know, to do her bidding, right? Because right. they wouldn't even say what Richard Crenna did for a living, right? It was just a bunch of investments and real estate and, and whatever. Uh, yeah, it was a lot yeah. of finance, a lot of right. uh, you know shady, a lot of like business dealings, like yeah, yeah. a lot of payola, real estate. <laughs> but it's funny, you know. Previously, Brian bringing up her yearbook line makes mm-hmm. me think that maybe her going to Florida and doing this was the first draft. Because from Illinois, Florida kind of is like not exotic, ah, but like that's yeah. a great point. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Totally. It's like maybe totally. she's like thinking that that's her doing it actually. Like so next next she needs to go to fucking Saturn. Like what what's the right. next <laughs> bigger thing than some exotic beach? You know, like exactly, exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or maybe it's just like a cyclical. Th- that's that's what I mean. Yeah. Maybe she was doing this again, and maybe you know it was she was gonna just keep uh, globe trotting as this totally. con artist. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like dirty rotten scoundrels. Yeah, that's uh, a but... really funny idea. It spins off into her just going from yeah. like place to place. Body heat too. Yeah. Globe trotting. Yeah. I spent all the money. I need some more. Um, you know they would call it too hot or something like that. Like body heat too hot. Still heating. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, but like that, that's funny. Her, okay, so when I first saw this movie, I thought the ending was that okay, she got everything she wanted. 
except she didn't uh, mean to fall in love along the way. And she, she's now sort of regretting that. And like, and, and everything else is a poor imitation of the, uh, the way that William Hurt made her feel. Mm-hmm. Another way to read it, I think, and the way I, I kind of saw it this time, was not so much that maybe it was William Hurt that she was missing, but just that like, okay, she got everything she wanted and, and it, it, it's, it's like... Still not you know, enough. Still not enough. It, it's like, you know, that it doesn't fill the void. Mm-hmm inside her type of thing and like because that's the whole rush right she's she can manipulate yeah, she can play right. people like that's that's the rush it, it, it's the way i always thought about the odyssey you know as soon as he returns and like yeah. you know slays all the suitors and like having gone through this whole thing it's like you know is he going to be satisfied to stay home and just uh hang out and put his feet up and eat grapes and shit like no the the like for him like the action is the juice right it's like mm-hmm. and 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 same with her it's like maybe maybe that's part of it too it's like that playing those games and like setting up the the extremely long con and manipulating her way through things like that was what sort of gave yeah. her meaning or whatever and like as soon as it was, it was over it was all successful and great but like you know what's left for her that's kind of where i i was going with it i thought this was just one stop william hurt was one stop on her you know, manipulation stops across wherever, <laughs> whatever else man or male she could take over. She could probably do it to females too. Who knows? But she was just, I yeah. think she was into that, that chase or whatever you want totally. to call it. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, if there is an Odyssey connection, I did think that the chimes were like sirens. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yes. And especially because like mm. he, when he first left, like she kissed him on the porch, he started to walk away and then here's the chimes. He sees them. The can like totally. there's a shot yeah. just of the balcony and chimes, mm-hmm. and then he's like, "I gotta get oh. back in there." Fucking yeah. breaks it with the fucking host. <laughs> like the chimes are the sirens, and yeah, then they, yeah. they show up later. They're very ominous at the end as he's like confronting her at the end. You know, yeah, but, yeah. But there I, are times when the when the chimes aren't ringing. You know, like it's perfectly still. There is no wind. I think that that might have been something. <laughs> oh, the whole, the weather, the geography. Exactly. The fractured landscape of that part of Florida, just like the bridges mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. sort of things are sort of split. And it's also small town and the class divisions. It is, uh, it's perfect for noir. I mean, it, it becomes micro macro for the characters, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's very, it becomes very complex. I mean, I, I feel like we, we did kind of tie all these things together pretty well. But I, I think another like connection I thought about last night after finishing the movie was that like, you know, there was that moment where Kathleen Turner, perhaps disingenuously, threatened suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it felt a lot like uh, Shirley Winters in A Place in the Sun, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yes. She does say that. And it really is like, oh. Wait, doesn't Lana Turner do that too? Doesn't she do that in Postman? Doesn't she hold on to the knife at one point when she's talking about... Actually, I think you're right. That does work. Talking about killing Nick with the knife. You were just going to put a knife in him, weren't you? No. That knife was for me, Frank. Oh, right. It's, when Shelley Winters threatens to kill herself, it's pretty awful. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's one of the, like, it's one of the yeah. things that she, like, one of the last, last ditch attempts that she uh, c- can possibly use against him. Um, yeah, right. And, and she just has this like heart wrenching, you know, patheticness to her voice, and she she's able to like to do that in, in multiple performances. I mean, she does it again in Lolita too. But like, ha- you know, to have that like you know pull on the the audience's heartstrings, but not the protagonist's heartstrings. Like, like totally unmoved by it. Right. Anyway, no, anyway. you're you're absolutely right. Um, 
Uh, last thing about Body Heat, uh, the mustache. It sets it, I think, apart from the mm-hmm. 40s and the 50s films is the leading man with the mustache. Very 1980s. Right, right, yeah, right. yeah. I mean, results of the seventies. I mean, a lot of sure. those early eighties <laughs> films are like really in production in the late seventies. So they're sort of yeah, like I mean, you know, yeah. This yeah. movie, it's like okay, it, it is yes, it's technically the eighties, but like man, it still feels like the seventies. Like when, yeah. you're, when you're looking, totally, at it, totally, you know? yeah. That's that's yeah. kind of there's always in the beginning or end of a decade. There's always yeah, like yeah, a weird yeah. overlap yeah. between mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the styles, you know. Um, right. Like early nineties films still feel like eighties films sometimes, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, no, I, I just really, really quickly wanted to like shout out Naked City if people really like summer noirs. Naked mm. City is a great one, became a TV show. Uh, Purple Noon, which has a similar ending to Body Heat. It's an uh, Alain Delon film, French in color. And The Window, which you guys, I think, yeah. might be covering or... Uh, well, we, we were talking about that. Like I, That almost made the cut on this one. Uh, sad story with a child actor sad story with the child actor if you're if you if you have if you have a time for a wikipedia wormhole uh the <laughs> child actor of the window who is also a disney child star it's uh, it's pretty pretty heartbreaking but uh good mm. pretty good movie yeah well well we'll maybe have to come up with another block using that one um but yeah it, it was one of our earlier episodes was a movie that was a remake of the window oh Which, that's what uh, it was so, so that i, was I thought yeah. it'd, be, it'd be fun to, to do was that cloak and dagger cloak and dagger cloak yeah, and dagger exactly. uh clash by night key largo ace in the hole uh split second which is never talked about uh, out in the desert <laughs> and uh breaking point we talked about john garfield yes, tonight breaking right. point is another really good summer noir um purple noon mentioned jeopardy with barbara stanwick uh, uh stray dog uh-huh. touch of evil is technically summer noir and last but not least Rear fucking window is a summer noir. Yes. I mean, because it's right. like you know heat wave. You know, right. we just we just talked about Stray Dog. Um, that was definitely a summer noir. Uh, you yeah. could feel the heat coming <laughs> off of that movie. I love that film. I it's amazing. I'm so, uh, it's uh, great that you guys covered that. You know, he did like that film apparently. Not one of his not one of his favorites of his own. Kurosawa. Yeah, he wasn't happy with it. Yeah, which is so weird. Well, it sounds um, like we've got like. I don't know, four more years of summer uh, noir with you uh, after that list. So looking forward to it. Thank you guys so much for uh, having me back on. No, thanks uh, for coming back. Um, Where could people follow you again? Only Film Noir. Yeah. Only Film Noir is uh, where I'm at online. I sometimes curate it to the month, but usually it's just what I'm watching. Sometimes neo-noir, trying to do more international. And uh, yeah, Mm. that's where I am. My name is Alex. Thanks for having me on uh jeremy and brian really uh it, I, I love Absolutely. you guys podcast it's just really good to thank be you well, thanks so much uh yeah and, and thanks for coming back it was, it, was, it was great i had a great time uh next week we will be talking about three movies this is a very interesting topic it almost took us a while to figure out the wording for it <laughs> um but these are three movies that uh, represent um movies that have a song in them that outlives the memory or the popularity of the movie how did mm-hmm. i do jeremy Pretty good, pretty good. I think I, we'll we'll have to find a way to distill that real quick into a title. But <laughs> I mean, that's the idea. The three movies we're watching are New York, New York, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, and Unchained. Um, exactly. Unchained is that the ghost song? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Okay. It, it came from a, a prison movie in the fifties, I believe. I uh, I love that. That's really really interesting. This is a very interesting topic. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Of course, we get. Uh, Raindrops, the, the, the famous Bob Dylan song "Knocking on Heaven's Door." Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Wow. And, I'm thinking of a different movie. Okay. Uh, New York, New York, 
which uh, I, you'll never guess which song that was. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and follow us on all the podcasts and social platforms at the Grindhouse Institute. And if you really want to give us a boost, check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It helps us to get noticed. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back next week. Ciao. You're the one that doesn't like to talk about the heat. Too bad I tell you about my chimes. What about them? The wind chimes on my porch. They keep ringing, and I go out there expecting a cool breeze. That's what they've always meant. But not this year. This year, it's just hot air. You shouldn't have come. You're going to be disappointed.